as we mentioned last week, and those of you guys that have been around for a while, um, we talked about during the season of Advent that we like to highlight some, some ministries um, locally and globally that we encourage people to uh, maybe kind of funnel some of their Christmas giving to. Um, that's eternal. And um, so we have had the, the blessing to be a part of the ministry of this next couple here for uh, a number of years. Um, and so we're excited to hear just a little update on, uh, from them this morning. And Sam's going to introduce them. So come on up, Sam. Hey, good morning. Um, I love what Bob is saying about using money for eternity because what is happening um, at Food for Kids is definitely making heaven more crowded. Um, if you have never had the chance to be down there, it is a party every day, and the spirit is moving, and kids' lives and even adults' lives are changing. So I um, just feel so honored and blessed to know Miss Sheila and Mr. Kinsey, and I just would ask that um, they come up and share with us about Food for Kids. Give them a welcome, y'all. They work hard all year long, all year long. Good morning, West Spring. I'm Kenzie Gilbert, and uh, we thank you all for your invitation that you have granted to us, and we are very, very honored to be here this morning. Without God's help, we wouldn't be here. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Uh, first of all, I want to give honor to God. To Pastor Miller, you know, behind every successful man, there's an awesome woman, which is Mrs. Christian, your wife. Um, I would like to really give um, some, uh, the Bible says don't pat yourself on the back, but these three people I just want to pick out. Everybody in here has played a part in Food for Kids, but I just must give a shout out to um, Sam. Please stand up for a minute, Sam. I just want to tell you how much that uh, we really, really love you. We are going to very much miss you. I actually got sick when you said that you wasn't going to uh, be here next year. But uh, your life is going to be in transition. Everybody has a season. And you don't have to worry about the house over there because God has a plan. Uh, Stacy Kearns, is she here? Um, I just wanted to say when God put Stacy in our life, I thought that was one of the best. But when Stacy moved on, he put Sam up next. Sam would bring people out. Friday was her day. Sam not only came with children uh, who was far beyond, she came with interns. So that's another step. And then later on that evening, she dealt with her father who was sick. So for her to be a young lady and went through all these different transitions and was I mean, it was, it was a blessing. The Lord has uh, really used you, and you should be tired. <laughs> um, uh, we love you, and we miss you. And Sam, when she come on Friday, she pumped it up. She brought the music, and we danced, and we had fun, and the kids really expect, uh, respected her. Our children started off small. They're now teenagers. So when you have about eight or nine teenage boys, it's kind of hard to tell them something, but they respected Sam and they respected the interns. We thank all you wonderful people for coming with her. And Barbara Lorenz, I don't know if she's here. She's my spiritual friend. She, uh, Barbara's an unusual lady of God. And a lot of, uh, she is and she's awesome. 
Uh, a lot of people don't know that, but we need elders in our lives, people who've been through different things. If she hasn't gone through it, her children has gone through it. And God always put people in our midst uh, to look over us. That's just how powerful the Lord is. So I want to thank Wellsprings because when we start off in May, we struggle. We struggle with water, juice, and pastries. And Wellsprings has been a blessing to us uh, through many, many different avenues, and we thank God for that. I asked the Lord, I didn't know what to say or what to, I just want to say thank you to everybody. A lot of people say, what can I do? When you buy a bottle of water, when you buy some lunch meat, when you buy some bread, you have did unto the kingdom of God. The Lord says, when you have done to the least of them, you have done unto me. And the least of them, we have pantries, we have open-door food kitchen. They feed adults, but we don't have anywhere a child can come up. We have children coming to food for kids. These little boys and girls are eight years old. Do you know they are the fathers of their home? They are coming getting food for the rest of their family. They don't have a... a a play life. And that's why we tell them no electronics is due on the property because we want them to laugh and sing and jump. And then God blessed us with Sam. Sam comes and take them to her friend's house to swim, take them to the movies. We started off doing that. I think the last time we took a, one of the kids to the movies, a little boy arm got stuck in a cup holder. We had to call the fire department in the movie. People like, really? You know? So uh, we've had some awesome experiences, but we thank God for a young person like Sam. Uh, she didn't hold any animosity towards these kids. They are, some of them are ruthless. I just have to say that. They broke in the window over there and talked about her and, oh, God, they done did so much, but she still loved them with that godly love. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, and I just want to leave this with y'all. Another thing, would y'all please pray for us? We're going to be traveling uh, home uh, uh, in a couple of days, and God has blessed me to go on a missionary trip to Ghana, Africa uh, in January. And would y'all please keep me in your prayers? I love going over there serving God's people, but it is really scary when you look at this map and it says you're flying over Lebanon and all these other places. So please keep me in your prayers. And this is a song I want to share with everybody because I feel like when you, God said, when you don't know what to do, just say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and thy will be This day, our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, 
not into temptation and deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the down one day shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Amen thank you very much So that was just a smidgen of what goes on down on uh, Angelique and 19th. <coughs> um, just so if you're not aware, though, so every day, Miss Sheila and Mr. Kinsey, they wake up, up about 3.30 or 4 a.m., and they go and they set up everything because they have to take it down each night because the part of town, we're not quite sure if it'll stay um, for the next day. So they tear it all down. Uh, I'm sorry, they put it all up, and then they make sandwiches for 150 people for the day. And I say people because... She does feed primarily children, but she also feeds um, adults as well. And anyways, and then at the end of that, then we pack it all up, and she does it all again the next day. And last summer, us and another church took over one sandwich day making, um, but so that made her have to make sandwiches 150 by herself every day for three days a week. So that is what your money goes towards. Um, it takes about $3,000 for us to do that each summer to help with our one day. We take Fridays and we provide the whole lunch. And then also what she didn't say either is the first Friday in November, she hosts a turkey drive and she gives over um, 200 turkeys away to families who wouldn't be able to get them as well. And the final thing, if you know anything, if you've ever um, talked with me, I hate red tape and politics and ugh, all of that. Um, and what happens when you get funding from certain people. But what happens when you get funding from the church is she can do whatever she wants. So we get to pray before we get to give it out to anybody, give food out to anybody who comes. We get to go to their houses. We get to put them in our car and not worry about anything. So that's what your money is going to go to support when you help food for kids. And I just, I need you to understand that lives are changing in six blocks because of this ministry. So thank you guys so much. It's such a great um, tie together with what we spoke about last week and just what we went through with the Matthew 25 challenge of I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. 
and we have an opportunity to, to feed people right here um, in our neighborhood who we may never meet uh, per se, but um, God, you know, sees um, hopefully our faithfulness. And, um, you know, a lot of folks from our church, you know, go with the interns and go down and hang out and connect and get to know some folks. So we talked last week, too, about getting to know the stranger. Um, So just another opportunity in the summers that you have to get to know some folks that you might not normally cross paths with. So um, last week we began the season of Advent and we kind of continued on our journey of taking a look at this God who is kind of strange at times. And we've been focused on the Old Testament for a long time. And a lot of people kind of think, well, the Old Testament is kind of weird anyways. So, um, but then we transitioned into the New Testament last Sunday. And we continued to see this theme of just God's strangeness um, in the way in which he came, this birth narrative of Christ. So God um, decides to invade humanity um, through Uh, the body of this unmarried teenage girl. The almighty God of the universe chooses to arrive in disguise as a helpless child in this little hamlet called Bethlehem. And this newborn king we talked about um, wasn't welcomed to the world by a bunch of uh, dignitaries, right? This is the king of kings on arrival. We said last week that the first folks on the scene, the first responders were um, the shepherds right? The dirty, stinky, wandering shepherds. The whole narrative of Christ's uh, birth screams once again that God's ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are not our thoughts. One had to be incredibly humble, an incredibly humble seeker to be willing to accept that this baby in Mary's arms was the long-awaited Savior that the Jews had been waiting for for thousands of years. And the number of strange and surprising truths surrounding the birth story just continue to grow. The angel already told Mary that, hey, that child you're going to have is going to sit on the throne of his father, David. So imagine being a teenage mother um, when you're kind of impregnated by some strange things, right? And you're from this lowly, insignificant town, and then you're told that you're going to give birth to a king, Another one of those strange ideas, at least to the Jews, would be that this Savior, Jesus, was going to be given to all of humanity. So on the night of Jesus' birth, the angel arrives to these shepherds and says that this child has been born for all people. And and that was a, a strange idea, that Jesus wasn't just a Savior and a King for the Jews, but he was going to be that for every human being from that day forward. See, the Jews thought that they were God's chosen people, that they alone were the ones that were going to be the recipients of this Savior. But God says, no, I'm changing the story again. It's for everyone. And the Gospel of Matthew plays into this new idea of of this Savior being for all the world when he introduces these strangers called the Magi in chapter 2 of Matthew. And before we dive into that story today, uh, we have to remember what the reality of power looked like in and around Bethlehem at that time. Bethlehem was just a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, um, there was a, an appointed uh, guy in charge of the area, region of Judea, which was kind of like southern Israel. And that man had been appointed by the Roman governor, and his name was Herod, and he'd been given the title King of the Jews. So I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. It's page 876 in your pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 2, we're just going to read verse 1 and 2 to start with. 
says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So Magi from the east, um, you know, different things you read, they kind of explain these guys as kind of magicians, uh, fortune tellers, astrologists, definitely not Jews, that's for sure. Not God worshipers, strangers from a different land who worship different gods, show up looking for this king, they say to Herod, who's been born king of the Jews. Now, how do you imagine that question sat with Herod when he heard that? Probably not very well, right? Let's see what he says in verse 3, how he responds. It says, when King Herod heard of this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. Now, to say that he was disturbed was probably a pretty big understatement, okay? This was a guy who had already killed several people in his family who he thought were threats to his throne, okay? So this guy had a, um, an entourage, a, a division of bodyguards of 2,000 soldiers to protect him and his throne, okay? So this was a guy who was ruthlessly determined to hang on to the power that he thought was his. And so whoever this baby was, these magi were talking about, Herod was not gonna allow him to uh, knock him off his throne. So here's the thing. I I've got some, some bad news for us this morning. Um, the truth of the matter is that we all wanna be king of our life. From a very young age, we are bound and determined to rule over our life as we see fit. And we feel very much at home sitting on the throne of our hearts. So in this way, Jesus is a threat to all of us. Tim Keller says it like this in his book, his Advent book called Hidden Christmas. He says, King Herod's reaction to Christ is a picture of us all. If you want to be king and someone else comes along saying he is king, then one of you has to give in. Jesus comes demanding an allegiance to him that makes all other allegiances in your life seem really weak in comparison. Okay, when Jesus grows up and he starts his ministry, this is what he says in Luke chapter 14. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You see, Jesus makes it very clear that any other relationship that we have in this world, and that's our spouse, our kids, those things have to be secondary to our allegiance to him. That is the loyalty and worship man's. And you know, sometimes when I, when I read things like this, um, in scripture, I wonder like how often we really kind of stop and think like, is he being serious here? Like, <laughs> he says, you cannot be my disciple. If you have some other allegiance to some other relationship in this world that supersedes your allegiance to me, that's, that's tough. There is only room for one person on the throne of our hearts. And, and let's be honest, folks, this kind of demand 
from a strange God triggers deep resistance within the human heart. Why? Why are our human hearts so deeply resistant to Jesus' demands to be number one? I'm asking response. Yes, sir. Okay. Being impatient, right? We don't want to wait on God's timing for things. We want to do things when we want to. Okay. Yeah. What else? Yeah, Steve. Yes. Right. He might ask us to do something we don't want to do. Yeah, Reed. Yeah. Yeah. So because of the fall, we have this ingrained um, desire to just do our own thing, right? We got one life to live, and am I going to have to just do what some other dude's telling me to do every day? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've, she said we can be kind of blind to um, these relationships we have in our life and how they become idols that we can't even see it. Um, that's good. What else? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Our culture teaches us to be self-reliant, right? Like, if you want something in life, you got to go out and get it, you know, and you're, you're the commander of your own destiny, and if you do this, this, and this, then your life should turn out like this. And so we're fed this narrative from our culture that, that contradicts being um, submissive to some, some other authority, right? Self-made man, right? Phrases we throw around in our culture. Anything else? These are all great. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, a lot of the postures that submissiveness asks us to take in terms of admitting that we're weak, um, admitting, you know, wanting to humble ourselves, like those are things that are not glorified. Those are things that, that don't sound good, um, you know, and even just this whole idea of we resist it because I think a lot of times we just don't trust God. <laughs> we don't trust his plans. We don't trust his ways, his heart towards us. We might say in theory that we do, but our actions where we're trying to take control back of a lot of things, speak to him that we don't really trust you. And so we fight it. It's one thing to believe information about Jesus, right? Who he claims to be, what he claimed to do. And many of us are generally drawn to Christ as savior, right? If, if we're humble enough, most of us can see we've got flaws, right? They're kind of hard to hide. <laughs> and uh, if you don't think you have some, somebody else around you will tell you that, yes, you do, okay? And we can even go so far as to say, my flaws um, are doing damage to me and are, are doing damage to those around me. And so this idea that we can have faith and, 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 and enter into a relationship with Christ and then we can be forgiven of those flaws and, and we can be spared hell, I mean, that's a pretty appealing story to most people, but Jesus doesn't stop there. And see, his demands for lordship kind of chafe at this independent spirit in us. And we kind of ask like Herod, who is this king that demands so much? A poor baby born in a barn? 
a stranger growing up in some insignificant town so far from Jerusalem, a carpenter's son, the guy who was whipped and beaten and mocked and hung like a dog on a Roman cross, that guy? Keller goes on to write, in every heart then there is a little King Herod that wants to rule and that is threatened by anything that may compromise its omnipotence and sovereignty. Each of us wants to be captain of our own soul, the master of our own fate. Might help to explain why our faith in Christian life is such a struggle sometimes. Why do we forget his goodness? Why are we so distracted by the things of this world? Why do we make the same mistakes again and again and again? You know, that thing we said we'd never do, we find ourselves doing one more time. And the reason why is because there's this little King Herod inside of each one of us that's dying this slow, reluctant death. And he rears his ugly head in every nook and cranny of our hearts. And we see it in the way that we resist so many of Christ's commands. There's this long trail of evidence, and the case built against us is damning. We see it in the way we hang on to a grudge. Instead of radically forgiving people, like, like Christ clearly commands and then the, like he forgave us when we didn't deserve it. We see it in the way we gossip and cut other people down to make us feel better than others when Paul clearly writes that we're to consider others better than ourselves, like Jesus. We see it in the way we hold on to our money, refusing to obey Christ's command to be generous because it gets in the way of the American dream that we feel like we need to be happy. We see it in the way that we try to control our environment, the way we try to get people to do and say the things that are going to make us feel secure and loved and appreciated when Jesus has already showed us our worth and our value by dying for us and giving his life for us on the cross. We see it in the way that we pat ourselves on the back because, hey, man, I'm showing up at church. You know, I'm giving some money. I'm serving here or there certainly a lot more than what most people are doing. But then we have all these lines that we draw in the sand when Jesus says, hey, I want you to get to know the stranger over here. I, I want you to, to welcome the, the widow and the orphan. I want you to, to, to love your enemy and pray for them. And we kind of be like, that, I'm not sure I'm going to cross that line. I'm, I'm going to, and we, do, we all do this. We have these, these commands that we kind of see as, oh, that's just kind of optional. We may not say it out loud, but our actions show it that way. You can fill in the blank with whatever issue confronts us from our comfortable and resistant seat on our throne. Let's get back into the Magi story. Skip down to verse 9. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They bowed down and worshipped him. The small child that they had never met. You see, Herod saw Christ as a threat. These strangers from the east saw him as somebody to be um, pursued and discovered and celebrated. 
laying first their hearts down and then their gifts before him. And here's the thing, guys. It's impossible to get low and to bow down before someone when we're sitting on a throne. You see, bowing down before the king of kings requires us to first get down off of the throne so that we can assume the posture of a servant before the true king. And this kind of worship and response doesn't just happen once when we surrender our life to Christ or pray a prayer. It's a daily battle, a daily coming before Christ. And, and in our mind and our heart saying, I'm going to get off the, the throne of calling the shots in my life and I'm going to bow down before you and allow you to be the king. It's a daily reminder that little King Herod lurks around in all of us wanting things to go our way, not trusting that the baby in the manger is a better king that we need, the one who created us, the one who knows uh, how we're supposed to be uh, fully alive. And to be honest, guys, as I thought about this, <clears throat> it's, not even, um, it's not even really one throne we're getting off of. Because the reality is, is that in our life, we have all of these little arenas and kind of areas of our life. And in some areas of our life, we might not really struggle with, with surrendering that part to God. Maybe with your money, like giving is not a big deal to you. Like you, you don't really care about material things and you're, you're happy to, to give and be generous. That's not a struggle for you. But then maybe over here in, in this area, maybe of relationships or, or, or your, your physical sexual life, if you're dating right now, like, man, that's one that you kind of want to cling to and play by your rules and not God's. And you can fill in the blank with whatever that might be. And as I look at my life, I see several thrones that I've, I've willingly abdicated over time, right? Maybe some were pretty easy. Others, like, God had to work on it. But I've, I've gotten down for the most part, and it's not much of a challenge. And then there's other thrones that I still want to hold on to. <laughs> and it's going to be that way. Our, the rest of our life. There's always going to be another throne <laughs> that God's going to reveal to us and say, ah, I'm, I'm still not Lord in that area. And, and because he loves us, he's going to continue to invite us down. He's not going to make us. It's an invitation. And so, for one, as we leave this week, we ha I want us all to be thinking about it, maybe coming to the Holy Spirit and saying, God, where are those places in my life where the little King Herod in me still wants to be in control? I haven't, I haven't given up the throne yet there. And because I have it, it keeps me from being obedient in certain areas of my life to you. And it kind of puts up a wall between my heart and receiving the kind of love you have for me. So maybe to identify those. But here's maybe the greater challenge that, that as a person who's kind of naturally demanding and um, challenging, I don't do enough. So y'all are going to love this one, is that I want you to celebrate, Okay. I want you to take a look at your life and celebrate, God, where are the places where I used to want to really be on that throne that I've surrendered, man, that you've got, gotten a hold of my heart and, and, and we've, we've changed together, and that's no longer a struggle for control for me, and we need to celebrate those things, and as a community of believers, that's one amazing opportunity that we have with one another is to look our friend in the eye and say, man, how much have you grown? I, I see that you used to really fight God in this area, and, and now I see you just surrendered and at peace in that area, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. 
And so I want to encourage you all maybe to, um, you know, say that to a friend of yours this week. Take a look at somebody in the eye and say, man, I've really seen growth in you. I want to celebrate that with you. That's an exciting thing to do. So uh, with your life this week, I want you to think about those little King Herods, some that you've killed and others that are still grasping for control um, as we continue to move forward towards um, the incarnation of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for just the beautiful reminders of life as we saw um, Paul and Abra up here with this amazing child that wasn't supposed to happen. And then this, <laughs> this crazy child running around that doesn't seem like peace. Um, Lord, it's just such a, a beautiful picture of life. It's just how messy it is. But how in the midst of it, you said your promise, Lord, that, that you come and you give us peace. And you don't give it as the world gives. The world gives peace only based on circumstances. Your peace is a peace in our souls because we've been made right with you. And because of that, we've got your Holy Spirit, which gives us the power to come down off the throne, to allow you to be the king. And God, it's one thing for us to worship and bow down before a king that looks like a king. <laughs> It's another thing to do that for a baby who's completely dependent on a teenage mother and to bow down like the Magi did before that king and say, Lord, I don't get this. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand how you're coming to me in this moment, what form you're taking. But God, I trust you and I want to be obedient to you. And I want to hate all other allegiances besides first my allegiance to you. So help me to do that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you